You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Hello and welcome to The Knock-On Effect. I am Alex Rosenberg here with Ash Bennington, our, our dedicated crypto reporter here for Real Vision. How are you doing, Ash? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, so so this is going to be sort of a different episode where I want to talk about something that uh, an event I attended and the one thing I kept hearing people say. Interesting. So the event was the World Crypto Con. Uh, 20, what, the year, 18, uh, in uh, the Aria in Las Vegas, Nevada. And there were a lot of speakers, a lot of uh, chatter, a lot of Lamborghinis that were, you know, <laughs> turned on and off on the on the convention floor. And uh, um, I met someone named, uh, well, I don't know if I should tell you his name, but he's, he's apparently going to become the first blockchain billionaire, and he's going to end poverty through Blockchain, so that was that was really really exciting. Did he or his flack tell you that? Uh, that he's going to become a billionaire. His flack that he's going to end poverty. Him. I see. So so, but but one one thing I did keep hearing was uh, the idea that the best projects, the best technologies, are created in bear markets. Hmm. And and this is something that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not casting aspersions. I. You know. Okay. Mm. So now there is obviously. uh, It's all good. Even if it's down, it's good, right? But you know. And that. That's kind of to be expected. But I I guess I'm. I'm genuinely interested in in what you think of this. Like, is is there something to this that that uh, you know we saw this froth and then all the the people who. Brock Pierce had had some way of putting it where he said all the people who didn't really care about changing the world, you know, and were just in it for the money. Uh, left the industry, and now it's just filled by people who are actually trying to build good projects. And I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he's mm. right. Maybe he's wrong. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. It sounds a little like uh, fortune cookie investing wisdom to me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just has a little too cute by half sort of vibe about it. Look, I, my gut says that there's probably an unmasking effect during bear markets, meaning that the people who are crowding into the space who are crowding in because they're either frauds or they're just trying to go and skate to the hot technologies that can turn a buck, those people probably leave. So what I imagine happens is that a higher percentage of the projects um, that are being invested in or they're being worked on are projects that have, you know, maybe a little bit more basis in fact and reality. So what you're really seeing is probably the malinvestment tide recede um, while the people who are dedicated to the space who really care about the technology stay. Yeah, and and so let's get back to trying to answer the question and at the end of this conversation. I just want to know, because you've been watching the space very closely, and, and right. you've seen it through 
a, a huge bull market and, and now into what uh, I, I I mean, I guess you can call it a bear market. It's still over the past several years. It's, it's done so really well. It's a bear that, market over, you know, if you look at it at a yeah. pretty a longer time horizon, the reality is that this asset has wildly outperformed every other asset class that's out there. Exactly. Um, well, well, if you so, use, use the technical analyst thing of, of, I don't know how this became a quote-unquote definition of a bear market if it's down 20% from its peak, but right. that's kind of meaningless. So. Yeah, I know. So what if we weren't in a base 10 system, right? Would it be different? I don't know. Yeah, I exactly. It'd be, it would like be down... Uh, come on, help me out. Uh, eight, I mean, octal hex. No, eight thirty. Uh, oh, I, I can't do math. Um, but uh, but 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 I guess what I want to know from you is how has the space changed as as it, we've gone through these different cycles for the price of Bitcoin and the other uh, and the other crypto coins. Well, you know, I think. So, so the most obvious change that you would see would be that the people who were in the space very early, we're talking like, you know, 2013, 2014, when I first started getting interested in it, um, were, were interested in it because they were absolutely in love with the technology. And, um, you know, there were no finance people to be found. Finance people, in fact, were mostly pointing and laughing. Um, the people who were in the space were technologists uh, who had backgrounds in in doing really interesting work in you know distributed networking or sort of abstruse branches of cryptography that no one had ever heard of outside of their space. Um, and so, so the sense that you got was one of enthusiasm, and also I think it's fair to say a kind of innocence because mm. this wasn't something that people were doing because they thought they were going to be driving a Lambo at the end of the week. And right. um, so, you know, the, the tenor and the complexion has changed. I, you know, listen, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Nothing stays the same. Things evolve. Um, and especially as, especially as, you know, as technologies mature and market caps accelerate. This connects actually to something that um, one, of, one, of the, one of the smartest people I talked to during my time in Vegas was a guy named Mark um, and, and he talked about how he gave this metaphor that he saw on the Discovery Channel um, an anaconda fighting an alligator. <laughs> and uh, I think, I, th- I, don't, I don't, can't remember who ended up winning, but they, they both came out the worst for wear. <laughs> um, and, and he said, it, it's, he said, you know, that's what it is with banks getting involved in crypto once, once um, crypto got involved with what, what he called the stock market. But what, what, what he really means is, you know, projects like Ripple, which he specifically brought up, and projects that – and honestly, you could sort of put stable coins into this broader category. Unfortunately, we can't see the air quotes that we're doing when we say stable coins here in the booth. Well, right, so. sure, sure. But, but the very idea of stable coins is, you know, tying crypto to, right. to, to, to the existing monetary system. And, you know, it, I mean, I, I guess he – he he talked about how I'm just reading from my, my notes from this conversation that that the, the banks have quote been stealing from from people for years and you think they're going to stop that now um, and and that the idea of Wall Street folks getting involved in crypto is is what he called a, a conflict of interest, um, <laughs> which you know and and he, he uh, when I went back to the bell desk at the area he, he was no longer there but he 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 was uh, we had this whole conversation <laughs> oh, while he was man. taking my bag actually um, oh man but um, but I I I think he I, I'm curious what you think of those points too because that that's something that else that I, I I struggle with and I think it's connected to this issue of the motivations of the people in the industry like it is 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 crypto. How political is crypto? In other words, like how much is it tied into this philosophical political idea of a monetary system, or is it just you know a technology that you can graft whatever your political views are onto it? Yeah, uh, I'll give you the best economic answer, which is it depends, right? It depends who you're talking to. It depends what slice of the space that you're looking at. Um, I think that you know, look, it's a 
it's become a very broad and diverse category now. So you see a lot of different people with a lot of different motivations. Look, they're, they're pure play investors in the space. There are people in the space uh, who are Wall Street folks who, who are interested in, in doing things like reducing back-end banking costs mm-hmm. back in the st- day, that stuff that I used to do at, at Credit Suisse and other places, um, because they think that it's going to be tremendously cost-saving because they'll be able to reduce labor dramatically. Now, people who come at it from that perspective, cutting out bank IT departments, obviously have a very different feel for the space and a very different motivation and a very different just overall you know, focus on what they'd like to see happen than someone who believes that, you know, for example, um, crypto is going to be able to break this, uh, what they see as the the hegemony of central banks right, on the but, money supply. But, but I guess what I'm really asking is, so if you look at those those strictly financial use cases, right. is the technology really good enough or robust enough that it really makes sense to, to be using it to, to do these things rather than, you know, I mean, if, if you build your own, your own, uh, crypto system, you know, that may or may not be attached to a coin, like that, that's, a, that's a very different thing. And I guess, I guess the question it comes down to is uh, another quote that I heard at, at the uh, thing that is, you know, Bitcoin is, uh, you know, a revolution against central banks or, or you know, something right. thereabouts. And I, I guess is crypto technology good enough that anyone would want to use it? Or is it just something that, you know, like, like the internet that maybe the People who pioneered it had this idea of freeing yeah. information, yada yada. But everyone has to use it, and there, you know, there's there's no other option. Is it that is it that kind of technology, or is it something that's almost a more niche product for people who have a certain set of political views? Well, I, I think the answer is both, and here's why. So, I think it is a niche product at the moment, very much. But I think that the 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 traditional, if you look at the history of innovation, and there's a really interesting use case when people talk about uh, the Eastman Kodak company, which is the fallacy is looking at a technology that isn't quite ready for prime time and being dismissive of it. So the reality is when you look at something that has an interesting use case that possesses novel technical properties that can radically interrupt and disintermediate markets, just because it's not up to speed, just because it's not something that would replace, for example, the SWIFT system today in 2018, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's something that won't be able to do it in three years or five years, whatever the time horizon. And the reality is, I think, twofold. Number one, it's simply not ready for prime time for that kind of use case today, right now, as we sit here in, in 2018 at the end of the year. Um, but the technology possesses so many interesting, useful, novel characteristics that I think it would be insane not to explore it um, in that. And I think that there's a very high probability, in my view, and this is just my opinion, that the future use cases will include precisely the things that you just mentioned. But so, so, and and, and here's a question that, that I certainly can't answer, and I'm hoping you can do a, a little better, although it, it really requires a lot of technical expertise. The common complaints about Bitcoin is that it can only process whatever it is, seven transactions a second, some 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 low number like that. And it is is that a problem with the underlying technology itself, or is that just a problem with the way it's built and, and the neck? In, in other words, so so yeah. if you're talking about Kodak, you're talking about digital cameras. Right. At the time, digital cameras like didn't take great pictures and they right. were super expensive. Yep. And both those things changed radically. Sure. Is but but at the same time, if you really thought about it, you could be like, oh, well, Moore's law, everything, all technologies right. improve. It's going to get faster. It's going things get cheaper. So you could have kind of predicted that digital cameras would be a bigger thing. As you sit here right now, looking at the underlying technology, right? What do you think? Well, it's a very technical question. So um, I would say that the promise of 
distributed ledger technologies, blockchains, is that they will be able to do just that. The challenge is right now, proof of work, which is the underlying mechanism for validating these networks, um, it seems almost by design to cause precisely the, ch the, the challenge that you're talking about. It has a feel where, as they say in technology, right, that's that's not a bug, that's a feature. Right. The, the, that's, that's, sorry to interrupt, but as Charlie Ling said, the, the point of it is that it's like the dirt that's above the transaction that that buries the transaction. Right. And so to to actually undo a transaction that happened a minute ago, you'd have to do a lot of digging. And two days ago, you'd right. have to do so much digging, right. you, you'd never even get there. I, I thought that was actually a really good way to think about it. That's a great metaphor. It's actually one I haven't heard before, but it makes perfect sense, right? So it's like if, if the the means of security is burying something underneath 30 feet of dirt. Um, it's very difficult to complain then, oh man, the problem with this technology is it takes too much dirt. Right, right? Right, that's right. kind of your whole, that's kind of the whole basis for it. Um, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, it seems in 2018, to the best of my technical understanding, that no one has yet developed the, an adequate mechanism for using like proof of stake, for example. So, um, so just real quick, proof sure. of proof of stake versus proof of work in simple definition. Yeah, you know, they're just different technologies that are used to validate blockchain transactions. And, you know, they function differently. And um, the, the problem is, this is the, the dirt metaphor again, is that it's designed to be computationally intensive because intensive comp computations can't be faked. Right. So if you have people who are doing all these solutions, um, it, it's very difficult to fake them. And so far, that's the only mechanism that has actually proved to be a reasonably reliable that we know of solution to the blockchain distributed ledger challenge. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to get back to this and, and back to the uh, strengths and weaknesses of the underlying technology. Um, I do have to ask one question, though, because there was like an inside joke that <laughs> kept coming up that I did not get. And that was... Uh, Bitcoin Cash, mm -hmm. which was brought up, I saw it brought up multiple times for the stage to, you know, hearty booze and laughter. <laughs> and I don't know what Bitcoin Cash is. And so can you explain, bring me inside on the joke if you, if you could. Yeah. So without getting into too much of the technical details, uh, Bitcoin Cash is what we call a fork. It basically means that the blockchain was divided. And what happened was, if you want to think about it in like the simplest sense, is that people who are shareholders of, say, IBM, mm -hmm. got stock in this additional company um, that didn't exist before, didn't have, you might say, to continue the metaphor, a product or a use case mm -hmm. or a cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this Bitcoin Cash stuff has been out there just trading uh, since it was issued per the fork. And I think that there's some skepticism about whether or not there's really a use case at all for Bitcoin Cash. So, so okay. So if IBM forks their stock, Ginny mm -hmm. Rometty has to say, okay, she's still the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has to say, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's offer this other thing. Now, did, did Satoshi Nakamoto say, okay, let's offer this Bitcoin Cash thing? How did that work? Well, you know, that, this is one of the challenges. It's not centrally controlled. So there was a fork, meaning that some of the miners started working on the new protocol. Some remained on the old protocol. But why, who, why, when did they decide to start working on the new protocol? I see it has a logo. Like, who designed the logo <laughs> for it? Like, I, I'm really yeah. confused. Well, you know, there, it's an open source thing. There are all these open source groups that, that get together to form working groups. I mean, look, but the core of your question is basically like, so what's the deal with this? Man. And the reality is that it's kind of like issuing 
an entity out of thin air. So if you, if Ginny Rometty, for example, decided to issue additional shares of IBM, you assume that those shares would be diluted because you know you're going into the market and you're getting additional capital, and the existing shareholders are going to they're going to take sure. Or maybe she's spinning off their you know Hot Wheels division. They don't make Hot Wheels, but right. you know, and so you're no longer getting access to that business right. line. Well, blockchain cash doesn't make Hot Wheels either, right? They don't make anything. It's right. just a thing that kind of was made up, kind of. But Bitcoin doesn't make anything. So I'm just I'm I'm so confused. Well, you know, hey, it, it, it's like a technology coming <laughs> off. Of, it's a pure technology coming off of a pure technology. Yeah, right. So, why? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess you could ask the same question of Bitcoin. But like, right, why does yeah. it have value? Like, what's, what's, what is? I, okay, okay, let's get back. I'm so curious though. Like, did a bunch of people get together and and say, how, how do they fork? It? Did any everyone who got Bitcoin got some Bitcoin cash? Um, the answer is a qualified yes. Certain okay. people who didn't control their private keys weren't able to take advantage of it at the time it was issued. But, but generally, yes. theoretically got it. Theoretically, and yeah. So, and so how was that decision made? Was there a big vote? Let's give everyone some Bitcoin cash or like... The, the miners who actually validated the underlying Bitcoin, some of them decided that they wanted to do things a little bit differently, and so it just forked. And and this is what you're what you're hitting on. I think is one of the core problems with the technology that the people who are involved with believe is a benefit, which is that there isn't any sort of centralized body. Right, individual miners can get together in groups, small groups, large groups, and decide, hey, we're going to do our own thing. And that's what happened in the case of Bitcoin Cash. So. And, and and so what's the reason that it's like a big haha joke? Like why why don't people seem to to like what they're doing with it? I, I think it's largely for technical reasons. You know, the the changes were made, you know, and we we'll put our readers our, our listeners to sleep here if we try and explain the differences. I think it's just, you know, technology stuff. It, it it the technology wasn't as robust for some reason or different people had different ideas of how it was gonna go and so Okay. It's not even an easy punchline in blockchain. Oh no, well could could <laughs> I, Charlie Lee was like, how many of you guys like Bitcoin cash? And I was like, I was like, you know, it's so funny. It was like, it was like, how about the middle seat on an airplane? You know, it was like, <laughs> I felt like that was like easy humor. Um, I don't think anything's easy in blockchain. Yeah. Alex, let me ask you actually a question. So you, this is, you're, you're someone who's obviously a traditional finance guy. You've got a lot of experience in those markets. Sure. Chartered financial analyst and all that. Mm. So when you go to Las Vegas, to World CryptoCon. What's your just overall impression when you're just walking around the floor? Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, right. So I don't, I don't want to be too hard on, on, because it's very easy to say, oh, this isn't like a, you know, conference you might go to on bond markets. You know, everyone's bullish. You know, that that's what I, I actually tweeted out something about how, you know, everyone was a bull, and once the bears start coming, then you'll know it's a mainstream thing. But we already know it's not a mainstream thing, and so to to criticize that, you know, pe- people there for all being bullish on this technology, I I, I get it. I, so I want to I want to cut them some slack. That said, that said, I mean, some of the booths, it's just like open <laughs> scams, like yeah. like. You 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 don't go to a muni bond conference and there's a big neon sign that says free muni bonds, <laughs> right? I mean it's like, well, you know, you, you're, we've had some bankruptcies there too, but uh. well, yeah, or, or it's like if you went to when when you if you went to like any uh, I don't know an ESG you know environmental right. this, this, yeah. and and there was like you know three. Subaru Foresters parked on the convention. You wouldn't see that, you know. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna take the other side of the trade, Alex. So you don't judge a technology. I know, I know. By the worst possible examples. I, so let me ask you this, right? right? So we know that there's some really ugly stuff in this space. But did you see anything that you looked at and you thought, "Oh wow, that's cool"? 
Well, so I did talk to uh, Maxine Ryan and and for for a piece for Real Vision, and you know the stuff she's building is is it makes sense. It it's for money transfers. She doesn't use any. She she stopped using Bitcoin. Like they they create their own stable coins and and use it like right away. They have like some instant way to create. It. And she's you know helping people transact money now. This is this is not, and she. It's actually very interesting. She changed the name of her firm. It was Bitspark, right. and she just changed it to Spark. And the reason why was the technology wasn't actually relevant. She says, like, I don't think we should call her. And I actually heard someone else say this from the main stage. Like, I don't think we should call ourselves um, blockchain companies because. It's just the, you, you don't you don't call yourself it, it so so we're talking to these microphones. I'm sure somewhere there's a microprocessor in the microphones, but it's not like a, the company that makes the microphones doesn't call themselves a microprocessing company, right? They because <laughs> they, they call themselves a, a, a microphone company. And so right. similarly, she's calling herself a money transfer company. So, you know, the, these technologies really, just to be honest, are not particularly sexy because right. they're not. They, you know, it's now we're talking not talking about something that fluctuates. We're talking about something that at best works like a utility. Um, so, but that said, let's talk about it. What was it that you saw that you thought, "Wow, this is interesting. This makes me sit or sit up and take notice." I think I think uh, I think when finance and even business is interesting, it's usually bad. I mean, <laughs> investing po- I, politics too. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, investing uh, investing should be boring, and uh, and and I I think that people when people go for to a conference for the sex appeal of it, and maybe I'm, you know, castigating myself and 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 uh, Real Vision for for going out to cover this one too. You know, it's it's um that that that's, that doesn't have the makings of something good. And so this actually gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning about the the bull market versus bear market. And you know, maybe if it, it's just so. What's interesting about this technology is um, the fact that there are coins with prices that fluctuate allow give the media something to talk about definitely force people like me to look at it where i'm I'm certainly not looking at i'm sure there are a whole host of emerging technologies that are very very interesting that just there's no fluctuating assets so i'm not talking about it cnbc is not going on for hours and hours about it right so it's 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 interesting you know and and then again there's a mix of people so there was like actually different stages and and at the main stage it was a lot of it was about technology and then there, were, there was a stage where it was like all about the impact on the monetary system and then one was like very very um i don't i don't want to use the word nerdy but like highly detailed very dry panels about like the proper technology for like arbitrage and then there was another room that was like make money trading um so it's it's such an interesting and i think what makes a conference like that so hard to wrap your head around is there's such a melange of people and of yeah. uses for what at, at its base is like a, a quasi-interesting underlying technology. Well, so too of the space, right? I mean, it sounds like I wasn't at the conference this time, but it sounds to me like the, the floor of the conference very much mirrors the reality that's out there in the broader space. Yeah, exactly. And, and the mix of people you had where right. there, there were some... You know, so we interviewed Tim Draper, who's, right. you know, at, at one point was a more conventional uh, uh, venture capitalist, uh, and and he's there with his son, who you know is also very interested in. Yep. And it's it's and so and then you have the the people who are technology based, and then you have the scam artists, and like and and then you have like the PR people, and then there's like a lot of press there, and it's um, I don't know, I I, I think I think if I was to argue disagree with myself, I would say that. 
the fact that there is a coin that has a fluctuating price draws people's attention. It's basically the best advertising possible for this underlying technology. To, so that when when I say, you know, blockchain to my mom, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the thing, you know, everyone knows what, right. what, what uh, that means, yep. but only because of these coins. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Um, you know, look, I, I was a kid in my 20s when the dot-com bubble imploded. And, you know, it, it seems to me like it's we're just hearing a lot of the same echoes from that era. And I think, I think as happened then, um, you know, after the after the crash, the Silicon Valley was a punchline. And right. and but it didn't stop people who were really interested and passionate about the technology from continuing to work on the technology. I imagine that development continues no matter what. And I would add one additional layer to this. I, I have friends uh, in the space who work in financial services who are doing really um, sort of less sexy, but really integral products uh, and projects in financial services where they're doing things like, uh, you know, back-end clearing operations on the blockchain through, you know, supply chain stuff, all kinds of things like that that aren't going to get headlines, that aren't going to get people excited, but are useful and they're going to continue going on no matter what. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I just want to make one note about that uh, tech bubble comparison, which which is something that I heard a lot. But uh, Brock Pierce, in his speech, gave shifted the timeline a bit. So... He argued that what we've seen is sort of what happened to tech uh, company valuations around like 1995. Okay, yeah. And then the the real tech bubble is ahead. Right. Which uh, and and he he said it will be a I believe uh, the word quadrillion dollar market. Um, do, do you have a pen so we can just see this visually? You know, look, this and, is and, a com- and, this is a common trope that it's not 99, it's 94 is a common trope. Right, and, right. And, and look, the reality is, you would probably think that or say that if you were, you know, if you if you had a stake in the in the project. So I don't really know how much that tells us one way or the no, other. No, I, I don't think so. It was just it was just funny to, to hear the word quadrillion. Um, so <laughs> so 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 getting back to our, our initial question, I, I guess. Um, I guess one could make a case that it's not necessarily that the best technologies are built in bear markets, but they're built over time, and right. that the market fluctuates as the technological technological that's a long word right. improvement is happening. So maybe maybe looking at the Bitcoin price won't really tell you much about the evolution of the technology. Just looking at the calendar will will ultimately bear out whether this is something that has real legs or not. Yeah, you know, I'm not convinced. Maybe it's not that uh, the best technology gets developed in bear markets, but it just appears that way. Maybe it's an unmasking effect. Right, because, well, well, I think we can say the converse, which is that the worst technology probably has trouble. This is the famous Warren Buffett, yeah. you know, when the tide goes out. To... You see who's swimming naked. Yeah, exactly. I think that's 100% right. Um, the worst technology definitely gets created during bull markets and during irrational bull markets and bubbles. Uh, the converse, uh, we'll have to see if that's true. Hmm. Interesting. So, so I, I want to close um, actually with what uh, the last thing Mark said to me, which which I've heard before, but the unnamed Mark. No, he he's 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 named Mark. That's that's his name. He's at the <laughs> if you're at the Aria, you're at the Bell Desk. Right. Ask for Mark. Say hi. Okay, um, we'll do. He he's the he's the older Mark. There's two Marks at the Bell Desk. I wouldn't want to confuse them. Yeah. So so he he said, and and I've heard this before, but I think it takes on special resonance with some of what we were talking about earlier with the political. Uh, backdrop of crypto. And he pointed out that Jesus said more about money than about heaven and hell combined or or something thereabouts. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, as you might be able to tell from my 
voice or name or literally anything about me. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Christian, but I. I. I think that the point he was making was to think that monetary decisions, especially decisions about how we build our financial system, do not have moral implications is is really wrong. And so, and so, and and that's really what irked him about Wall Street getting involved in crypto because he saw it almost the savior of our financial system, which. Mm. Rather than a way to you know do better uh, trade clearing and and kind of preserve the status quo in a more efficient way. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm a lapsed Catholic, and big banks are organized uh, in many ways the way that the Catholic Church was for two millennia. So I, I don't know. Look, I, I think it's probably going to be a, a. I think it's. I think the technology is going to be really pervasive. I think it's going to spread to a lot of different areas. I think there's going to be room for people who believe those things. And and look, I'm not trying to be dismissive about it, but I think yeah. that there are going to be people who are going to have kind of uh, yeah very optimistic utopian views of the technology. And I think there are going to be people who work at banks who are going to look at this and say, look, you know, we pay we pay our back off office people a lot of money in total compensation, and I think there are ways of reducing our headcount using this. I think they're both going to happen. Um, I think all things can be true. Right, but I guess the point I'm making is, you know, probably not enough thought is actually given to that kind of thing. Like, like uh, who gives thought to anything during no, a bubble? No, no. But what I mean is, is even during a bear market, like the financial. It, it 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 the only way that our, that the financial world is impacted by questions of morality is like during periods of regulation or when people say oh you know banks shouldn't be allowed to do this right. but but the financial world is really not you know besides I mean I mean seriously like if you, if you can look at the periods of of communist revolution but really besides that like people don't think about the uh, moral implications of the way our our the, our financial plumbing is is created I, and I, I think that's that's a mistake yeah i think that's true it's hard to argue with that i think there's a lot of things that people don't think about the moral implications of and and sure. and perhaps finance being the one that we think about because right well we think about it all the time right ex exactly um so w w were you archbishop at this bank or d did you take confessions what was your uh i think it was monsignor bennington but it's been a long time i'd have to, <laughs> take, uh, I'd have to take a look all right very good all right well uh well monsignor thanks so much for uh joining me this this week for the knock on effect rabbi rosenberg thank you for having Ooh, me all right all right see you later bye you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.